Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to episode 16 of 10-0. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. You guys ready for a doozy? Because she's got a doozy and I've kind of got a doozy. Well, they can't answer you. So <laughs> I'll answer for them. Abso-fucking-lutely. It's also 1.30 in the morning, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have grabbed my monster, but, you know. I got my Mountain Dew. It's fine. It'll be all right. Maybe. I've already been yawning for like the past three hours. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's what happens when I do research. Come on now. Yeah, I know. I sat there and watched you do it. <laughs> so they're yawning. <laughs> like every five minutes. It was horrible. Love that story. All right. So it's August 27th of 2007. Okay. Michael Vick. Oh, shit. A star quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Formally pleads guilty before a Richmond, Virginia judge to a federal felony charge related to running a dogfighting ring. That December, the 27-year-old, once the highest paid player in the NFL, was sentenced to 23 months in federal prison. Fucking. Not fucking long enough. In April of 2007, law enforcement officials raided a 15-acre property owned by Vic in rural Surrey County, Virginia. And discovered dozens of pit bulls, some of them neglected, along with the evidence of illegal dogfighting activities. Poor babies. That July, Vic and three other men, Pernell Peace, Quanis Phillips, and Tony Taylor, were charged with engaging in competitive dogfighting, obtaining and training pit bulls for fighting, and carrying out the enterprise across state lines. All for the... Fear God. Now who can't talk? <laughs> All four men pled not guilty to the charges. However, Vic's three co-defendants later changed their pleas to guilty and agreed to testify that the quarterback had participated in the execution of a number of dogs and had bankrolled the gambling and operating funds for the venture, known as Bad News Kennels. News spelled with a Z, because... Of course it was. Obviously. Um, which had reportedly been in existence for about five years. Animal rights organizations, as well as the general public, expressed outrage. I was one of the general public against Vic <laughs> and the barbaric <laughs> details of the case. I would hope so, shit. Dogs that underperformed in fights were put to death by such means as drowning, electrocution, What the fuck? Say it with me. Garbage, Garbage human. human. <laughs> On August 27th, Vic, the Falcons' starting quarterback since 2002, pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to travel in interstate commerce in aid of unlawful activities and to sponsor a dog in an animal fighting venture. Yes, yeah. Vic, who in 2004 signed a record 10-year, $130 million contract with the Falcons, was suspended indefinitely without pay by the NFL and lost his lucrative endorsement deals. Good. In December of 2007, a judge sentenced Vic to 23 months in federal prison because the judge believed the football player had refused to accept responsibility for his actions. Yeah. Vic failed a drug test after his 2007 or August 2007 plea of guilty and also flunked a lie detector test about his role in the executions of underperforming dogs. The sentence was stiffer than the 12 months to 18 months suggested by the federal guidelines. 
In July of 2008, while in prison, Vic filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. That November, he pled guilty in Virginia to state dogfighting charges and received a three-year suspended sentence. He's bullshit. Pretty much. In May of 2009, Vic was released from Leavenworth. That July, he was conditionally reinstated by the NFL and the following month signed a two-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. While his public image remained tarnished, Vic went on to make a strong comeback on the football field. He retired from professional football in 2017. No one really gives a shit. No one and gives after they any, any so in my house else. after they reinstated him, we stopped watching. Like, the only time we would watch it is if someone was like, hey, we're having a Super Bowl party. Bring some food. Yeah. Come over. Hang out. And even then, we wouldn't even watch the game. We'd watch the commercials. Yeah. I would the commercials. Fuck everything else. So, um, to this day, we still don't watch the NFL in my house. Um, mainly because of that, but also because of the whole kneeling thing during the National Anthem. All it's doing is disrespecting our veterans who fought so hard for this country, and I'm not about that. So... <laughs> now you want to go first you want me to go first well it, 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 mine's going to be really long kind of like yours was okay. um, just because of who I picked but I'm still not going to tell you who it is <laughs> so some bullshit. you can go first oh, just because I'm at like Nine pages? I'm at eight. Oh. <laughs> well then. I guess it really doesn't matter who goes first. No. But I went first last week, so you go first. Oh, okay. So we are going to Massachusetts. Yay. Specifically the southeastern part of Massachusetts. To the Bridgewater Triangle. It's a 200 square mile area in southeastern Massachusetts. The triangle goes from Rehoboth to Freetown to Abington and Canucks. Okay. So, obviously, Canucks is a fucking triangle. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm tired. <laughs> so, a little history on the area. The Wampanoag tribe, first off, was actually a collection of five tribes. The Mashpee Wampanoag and the Wampanoag tribe of Gayhead are the only two that are recognized from this group. The Herring Pond, the Asawamset, Namaskit Band of Wapanovs, and the Pocus. Felt something on my. <laughs> Don't look at me like that! <laughs> Fuck. You're the one who pointed out the spider. Had you not pointed it out, I would have. Would you rather fine. have let me land, let it land on your shoulder? Well, I mean, it, it was like a foot away, but still, like. The man. breeze could have carried it. <laughs> Don't talk about it. <laughs> Fuck, you made me lose my spot. <laughs> uh, the Pocaset Wampanoag tribe, or the Poconoket. Those last three are recognized by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. They lived in the southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island area in the beginning of the 17th century. This area is now known as Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. Oh. Yeah. Okay, then. So, well-known areas. Right. 1615 to 1619, the Wampanoag suffered through an epidemic which is believed to have been smallpox. 
there was a high fatality rate and it decimated their population. Um, That's shitty. Yeah. So now we're going to move to King Philip's War, which was 1675 to 1678. And the Freetown Forest, which is in the, I almost said Bermuda, <laughs> Bridgewater Triangle is the site of where this war happened. Well, I mean, they both start with B. Uh, they are right next to each other on my list of topics that we need to cover. So, the war is named for Medicom, the Wampanoag chief who adopted the name Philip because of the friendly relations between his father, who was Massasoit, and the Mayflower pilgrims. However, Medicom did not like the alliance that his father had between the Wampanoags and the colonists due to the repeated violations by the colonists. Little known fact, not very many Native Americans were. They had a wampum belt, which served as a document of the tribe's history, and it was interpreted through images and symbols that were woven into the design. So they took um, quahog clams mm -hmm. and made beads out of their shells, and then made it in like a big, um, almost like a weaving with beads and right. rope. But it's super, super cool. Um, it was taken from the Wampanoags from, or by the colonists during this war. Of course it was, because right. assholes. Both the Native Americans and colonists took a major hit as far as death tolls. When the war was over, Metacomet flew, flew, <clears throat> fled. I am having a stroke. It is fine. Fled to Mount Hope. Uh, at this point, his wife and child were captured by the colonists and sold into slavery in the West Indies. And shortly after, Medic Comet was shot and killed. So there's that. There's a little bit of history on this area. Okay. So let's move to landmarks that are in the triangle. The first is the Hakamak Swamp. In Wabanoag, it means place where spirits dwell. The early colonists called it the Devil Swamp. It encompasses almost 17,000 acres. So this is a massive fucking swamp. Jesus. Massive. From about 300 AD to colonial times, Native Americans depended on the swamp as an abundant source of food. They revered the swamp for its bounty and used some areas for sacred burial, burial grounds. I cannot talk. The Wampanoag both worshipped and feared the area as the chief deity of death and disease, called Habamak, was said to dwell in the swamp. He was often destructive, evil, and usually in opposition with Koatanawit, who was the creator god that they believed in. Um, it is said that there are sinkholes and quicksand pits in the swamp, and many people who have visited the swamp say that they had the sensation of being watched. Well, I can believe that. All the death and shit that happened? Yeah, I can believe it. So, now we're moving to Freetown. And that is one of the lower corners of the triangle. The Freetown Fall River State Forest is also within the triangle. It's located between Freetown and Fall River in Massachusetts. It covers about 5,441 acres. Since colonial times, bizarre reports begin to be told about the area, including giant snakes, strange creatures, ghosts, and missing people. In modern times, reports including Bigfoot UFOs, ominous black helicopters, mysterious balls of light, poltergeist activity, and cattle mutilations have been reported. 
in this area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So May of 2016, several visitors on motorbikes were actually injured when they came across wires that were stretched across the path. Oh. Like somebody tried to Ooh. decapitate. Reminds me of Ghost Ship. Please tell me you've seen that movie. The best opening to a horror film ever. Shit okay. you not. So, they're on this boat out in the middle of nowhere. And, sorry, squirrel. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, one of the wires from one of the sails, or one of the towers, not sails. Dear God. It's a big, like, cruise ship. Um, breaks. Okay. And, like, literally decapitates and cuts bodies in half. And oh. all you see is the bodies just slide down. And it exposes everything. It's like, it's so fucking amazing. Sorry. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Literally best yeah. intro to a horror Damn movie it. ever. Like, you see the mechanisms in, like, the Saw movies and yeah. stuff with the wires that cut bodies in half. Mm-hmm. Imagine this on a much larger scale because they're all having a party on the upper deck. President Ronald Reagan actually visited the Freetown Forest and he reported seeing strange lights in the sky above the forest. So... There's that too. All right. Next Way to go, Reagan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for shining a light on paranormal activity. Yes. Appreciate you. Um, next is Profile Rock, located in Freetown. And it is a 50-foot-high rock that looks like a human face. Oh. Like it is a giant human head. 50-foot nice. human head. What's it called? Profile Rock. Oh. Yeah. Honestly, like, the picture that they have on Google of it resembles that of, like, a... Almost like a Native American profile. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. The Wampanoag people consider this rock is sacred. According to Indian legend, the image is of the Wampanoag chief Massasoit whose son died near the rock. I could see that. Local legends say that Native American ghost dancers are often seen here in warrior dress dancing around the rock. And according to another legend, this is the site where the Wampanoag figure Anawan, who was the chief captain and counselor of Metacomet, uh, received the lost wampum belt before, or from Metacomet. And it was the first peace treaty between the Native American people. Hmm. Next, we do Solitude Stone, and it is located near Forest Street on West Bridgewater. And the stone was found to a missing person's body, which was supposedly a suicide. Carved into its surface was all ye who in future days walk by Nekisadat Stream, love not him who hummed his lay cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed. Mm. That's not creepy at all. Right? No. This one kind of messes me up. It's called the Ledge. It's an 80 foot deep rock quarry known as a sonnet ledge. And people speak of having a, a compelling urge to jump off cliff when they go here. Some reports say that some people have actually jumped to their deaths from this ledge. Others talk of feeling 
others talk of feeling a sense of dread when venturing near the ledge. It said that visitors have seen ghosts here and that it had been an alleged hot spot for Satanists and strange cults. Police regularly have to check the ledge and often find abandoned cars, meaning that the driver either jumped or they went missing. Kind of makes me want to go. Uh, no, because I don't want to be compelled to jump off the cliff. Well, I don't either, <laughs> but at the same time, kind of makes me want to go. Like Negative, Abby. So, Lover's Leap in Virginia is basically, like, the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, people have reportedly, like, felt compelled to jump. Yeah. And when Marcus and I were there, it was so pretty. I'm all sure I, it is. All I wanted to do was take pictures. <laughs> I don't want to jump off a cliff. <laughs> Listen! <laughs> but that, that, ooh. I can only imagine. Because that was way more than 80 feet. So I could, ooh. Yeah. No, thank you. So there's one paranormal sighting that really sticks out to me. Okay. It's called the Red-Haired Hitchhiker. Oh. Well, no wonder. You know. Shut up. Uh, he's seen along a stretch of Route 44 in Rehoboth. He is always said to be wearing the same clothing, which is a red flannel, dirty jeans, and boots. And he has red hair and a big, bushy red beard. Oh. So, Jeremy. <laughs> Lumberjack status. Gotcha. He is also reported to have dark, empty, soulless eyes. Ooh. Yeah. Travelers picked him up after seeing him wandering down the road. Sometimes he has laughing. Fuck. Fuck no, itchy. no. Mm-mm. Sorry about your luck. <laughs> I will no. Mm-mm. So next, I have a bunch of cryptids. There's a couple that have um, some stories that go along with them. Okay, so bear with me here. First, I have Thunderbirds. Many residents near the Triangle, including a retired police officer have spotted a black pterodactyl-like creature with an 8 to 12 foot wingspan. Oh. So these are like pterodactyl dinosaur style birds. One of the most dramatic... Harpy eagles. Huh? Harpy eagles. Yeah. Um, I pulled this from an article. One of the most dramatic incidents occurred at 2 a.m. on a late summer's night in 1971. A Norton Police Sergeant Thomas Downey was driving along Winter Street in Mansfield, toward his home in Easton, as he placed known as Bird Hill in Easton at the edge of the Hockamuck Swamp. Yeah, because why not? There you go. Bird Hill. Right? He was confronted by a tremendous winged creature over six feet tall with a wingspan of eight to 12 feet. When the author interviewed him, Downey told him that as he drew to a stop at the intersection, the bird flew straight up and disappeared over the dark trees into the swamp. Downey reported the sighting to the Easton police. And a patrol car searched the area but found nothing. For weeks after, fellow police officers dubbed him the Birdman. But he still stuck to his story. So, again, harpy eagles are known to stand as tall as a person. Yeah. And could potentially have, you know, that big of a wingspan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's highly likely. It is. Not really sure where they're, you know, mostly found at. This one's my favorite. Pukwajis. Pukwaji is Wampanoag for little wild man of the woods that vanishes. Oh, jeez. 
It's a human-like creature that is said to be two to three feet tall with smooth, hairy, gray skin and large ears. They have a notorious reputation for mischief and mayhem. According to legend, they can disappear and reappear at will, lure people to their deaths, use magic, launch poison arrows, and create fire. Oh. Fun fact. Fuckogies have also been used in Pottermore as a symbol of the House of Ilvomorny, and which was the American school for witchcraft and wizardry that is said to represent the heart of a wizard and favors the healers. Oh. Okay, then. And then I have a Pukwaji encounter story. It's okay. Bill Russo is who actually encountered it. And this is an article from the Enterprise. Okay. An experience like the one Bill Russo had approximately 30 years ago to the day when he was walking his dog on Cynthia Street in Raynham after working a midnight shift at Raynham Ironworks. And he came across something strange. Samantha, a German Shepherd Rottweiler mix, started, mm-hmm. quote, shaking like a washing machine. At first, Russo couldn't see or hear what was bothering her, oh. but then it reached his ear. Here, here, he want you, is what he said it sounded like. It was a dark night, but the street lamp made a big circle on the pavement, a circle of white light, and into that circle came this creature, he said. Three feet tall, maybe four feet tall, kind of like a stuffed animal. Think teddy bear. 100 pounds or so with a pot belly. Eyes a little bit too big for his head. I always think of a cat. And then was motioning me, beckoning me with its arm or paw or whatever. At first, Russo said he thought it was a kid in a Halloween costume. But then he tried to talk to it, and it just kept repeating it, its nonsense words. He said it, he wasn't scared, being so much larger than it, but Samantha was. So he decided to leave and go home. When he got back home, he thought long and hard about the incident and eventually came to the conclusion that the creature was trying to speak to him in English. He believes it was trying to say, come here, we want you. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about you. There's also been Bigfoot sightings in the triangle. Shocker. Shocker. Um, the last cryptid I have are giant snakes. Anacondas like to live in swamps. Just throwing that out there. In fucking Massachusetts? If someone... Well, I mean, they do have, you know, reticulating pythons and everything else up there. I mean, someone could have, you know, had one of a pet and took it to the swamp and released it. As one police officer... Officer told Brockton newspaper reporters in 1970 about strange happenings in the area. Quote, nothing surprises us much anymore. Last week, a motor ran over an eight-foot boa constrictor. We still haven't learned where that came from. See? Told you. Someone could have released it. I'm sure they freaking did. Because, you dumb. know, people are stupid. Yeah, an exotic pet and then release it into the wild like a fucking idiot. In 19... 19- <laughs> <laughs> in 1939, civilian conservation corps workers completing a project on King Philip Street on the edge of the swamp reported in Depression-era news items of seeing a huge snake, quote, as large around and black as a stovepipe. The snake coiled for a moment, raised its spade-like head, and disappeared into the swamp. Local legends claim that a huge snake like this one appears every seven years. Okay, so with it having a spade-like head, most constrictors do. 
So you've got to look at your pythons, your boa constrictors, your anacondas, stuff Don't like that. Want... No, 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 shoot. <laughs> Dear God, <laughs> we're not talking about that one. All right. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's possible. It, it, it's possible that, you know, someone had these snakes as a pet and released Moral them. Moral of the story, or... if you can't take care of a pet, don't get it. Exactly. There's been several murders inside the triangle as well. The one that I really found a lot of information on, the only one I found a lot of information on, was Mary Loud Aruda. She was a 15-year-old cheerleader who was abducted from Raynham, Massachusetts in September of 1978. Her body was found in November of 1978, tied to a tree in the Freetown Forest. Oh. Yeah. James Cater was convicted in the kidnapping and murder of Aruda in 1979. Surprise, he had previously been convicted of kidnapping in 1967. Oh. The verdict would be overturned twice in the next 12 years, ultimately ending in a mistrial. And in 1980, while investigating another local murder, police were approached by individuals who claimed to have witnessed a satanic in the area. These reports would be helpful in the fourth trial for Cater, which was 1996 through 2000, which ended in the conviction being upheld. And the defense accused police of withholding information relating to the alleged satanic cult activity. Well... And that is the hot mess of Bridgewater Triangle. Jeez. <laughs> Lots to unpack there. That's a lot. Um, that's, that's a lot. From from giant ass snakes to fucking pterodactyls and right. little tiny human-like things that want you to come here. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> the hitchhiker that, you know, oh, laughs at you. No. Good. I think I would A, wreck my car, B, piss my pants, right. C, all the above. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. All right, what's your big guy? All right. Well, I'm going to give you a couple hints. Oh, shit. Okay. He named himself. Okay. He sent in letters and cards to newspapers and TV stations. Okay. And... He had, let's see, he had a particular way for signing his letters, but I can't tell you who it is, or what it is without giving it away. Okay. It ha- all of his murders took place in California. Okay. And to this day, it's unsolved. Any guesses? Well, it's not the Golden State Killer, because that's all. Zodiac? Yes. So, he signed his letters with what I think looks more like crosshairs. So you'll see me notice, or say crosshairs more than the crossed circle that everyone, you know, says. Ooh, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. It looks more like crosshairs to me, because it's just a circle with an X through it. I never thought about that. So... We're going to talk about the Zodiac Killer today. Okay. The Zodiac, or Zodiac, is his pin name that was used 
by this unidentified garbage human that plagued California in the 60s. He is famous for five murders. Okay. Um, however, he claims 37. Oh. Um, we'll get into that later. Okay. He was confirmed active between 1968 and 69. Mm-hmm. The reason I say confirmed active is because of the fact that we only know of five identified victims. Okay. Don't like that. So, the attacks that have been confirmed took place in mm-hmm. Vallejo, Napa County, San Francisco, and Benicia. Okay. Um, he's also been linked to several other cold, ca- cold cases. However, they're just that. Cold cases. Fantastic. Still unsolved. So, the Zodiac Killer claims 37 murders. However, investigators only agree on seven victims. Okay. Five deaths and two survivors. Mm-hmm. So of those two survivors, neither of them could accurately give information on who he was. Well. So, now we're going to get into the murders. Mm-hmm. David Arthur Faraday was 17, and Betty Lou Jensen was 16. They were shot and killed on December 20th, 1968, on Lake Herman Road, within the city limits of Benicia. Mm-hmm. Ben- Benicia. Dear God. Get together. it together. <laughs> the young couple were on their first date and found themselves out on Lover's Lane. Shortly after 11 p.m., their bodies were found by Stella Borch, who lived in the area. Mm-hmm. The Solano County Sheriff's Department investigated but found no leads. It was speculated that another car had pulled in beside the two. The killer exited the car, possibly ordering the two out of their vehicle. Before shooting the male in the head, his body was found just outside of the car. The killer then shot Jensen five times in the back before driving off. Jensen's body was found 28 feet from the vehicle. Christ. Michael Renault Magoo, age 19, and Darlene Elizabeth Farron was 22. They were shot on July 4th, 1969 in the parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo. While Magoo survived the attack... Farron was pronounced dead on arrival at Kaiser Foundation Hospital. The couple were parked in Farron's car when a second car pulled into the lot and parked next to them for only a second before driving away. It returned about 10 minutes later, parking behind them. The driver exited the vehicle, approaching the passenger side door, armed with a flashlight and a 9mm Luger. I say oh. armed because the killer pointed the flashlight at their eyes before firing five times in the vehicle. Both victims were hit. However, the killer could still hear Magoo's moans of pain and returned to fire two more shots into each victim. On July 5th, a man called the Vallejo Police Department to report and claim responsibility for the attack. The caller also took credit for the Lake Herman Road murders. Police called to a gas station phone booth. Farron was pronounced dead at the hospital and Magoo sat survived the attack even after being shot in the face, neck, and chest. Jesus Christ. He described the killer as a 20 to 30 year old white male, 5 foot 8, near 200 pounds, with short, light brown curly hair. Three letters were received by the Vallejo Times Herald, 
the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner on August 1st of 1969. All three were almost identical and took credit for the shooting. Each letter also included part of a 408-symbol cryptogram. The killer claimed that the symbols contained who he was and demanded they be printed on the front page of each paper or he would cruise around killing people in the night and then move on to kill again until he ended up with a dozen people over the weekend. Shit. The Chronicle published its section of the cryptogram on the fourth page of the next day's edition with an article printed alongside the code quoting police chief Stilts saying they weren't satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer and requested the writer send a second letter with more to prove his identity. All three parts were eventually published. On August 7th, a second letter was received by the examiner with the greeting of, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. Mm-hmm. The letter was a response to the request for more information and included details about the murder that was not yet public knowledge. On August 8th, the cryptogram was cracked by Donald and Betty Harden. They stated that no name appeared in the decoded text, and the killer said he would not give away his identity because it would slow down or stop his slave collection. Oh. So, this comes into play later, but he basically was in the mindset that he was collecting slaves for his afterlife. In paradise. Kind of reminds me of um, Dahmer. A little bit. So on to Brian Calvin Hartnell, age 20, and Cecilia Ann Shepard, age 22. They were both stabbed on September 27, 1969, at Lake Berryessa in Napa County. Hartnell survived eight stab wounds to the back, but Shepard died as a result of her injuries on September 29th of 1969. A white man, about 5 foot 11, approached them wearing a black executioner's type hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and the crosshairs on it. On the the hood? On the front of the hood. So it came down. So, like, old school executioners had, like, the hood Mm -hmm. and then it had, like, that part, almost like a firefighter's nomex. Where it comes down and it protects the chest. And on that chest piece had the crosshairs on it. Oh. Yeah. Um, and a gun, believed to be a forty-five. The hooded man claimed to be a convict from a jail in Montana where he killed a guard and stole a vehicle. He explained that he needed their car and money to travel to Mexico because the car he had stolen was too hot. Okay. Which, I mean, most of the time when you refer to something stolen, it's hot. Yeah. The killer had pre-cut plastic clothesline and told Shepard to tie up Hartnell before he took He checked the binds and found them too loose and drew a knife, stabbing the two repeatedly. Hartnell suffered six wounds. Shepard suffered ten. The killer then hiked 500 yards drew the cross circle or crosshairs onto the door of Hartnell's vehicle and wrote Vallejo 122068 September 2769 by knife beneath it. 
So he was leaving like a score almost. At 7.40 p.m., the killer called Napa County Sheriff's Office from a payphone to report his latest crime. The caller first advised he wished to report a murder, no, a double murder, before stating that he was the one responsible. The phone was found minutes later still off the hook. Detectives were able to gather a still wet print, however, were never able to match it. Uh-huh. Shepard passed from her wounds two days later, however, Hartnell survived. That makes two men that survived extensive injury while the females perished. Mm-hmm. And then we come to Paul Lee Stein, age 29, shot and killed on October 11, 1969, in the Presidio Heights neighborhood in San Francisco. Two weeks after the last murder, a white male entered the cab driven by Stein at the intersection of Mason and Geary in San Francisco, requesting to be driven to Washington and Maple. Stein drove, unsure why, one block past Maple Cherry Street. The passenger then shot him once in the head with a 9mm, took his wallet, car keys, and removed a section of his blood-stained shirt and white cab before walking northbound. Three teenagers watched before calling the police. Two blocks from the scene, two patrol officers responded observing a white man walking along the sidewalk east on Jackson and stepping into a stairway leading to a home. One of the officers estimated the male to be 35 to 40 years old, around 5 foot 10, with a crew cut. The teenagers described the suspect to be 25 to 30 years old, with a crew cut, and around 5 foot 8 or 9. Due to a mix-up, dispatchers alerted officers to look for a black suspect. The reason for the mix-up is unknown. Can confirm that it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um... This was the last official confirmed murder of the Zodiac. Okay. On October 13th, the Chronicle received a new letter from Zodiac taking credit for the killing and contained the torn, a torn section of the bloodstained shirt to prove it. The three teens worked with a sketch artist to come up with a sketch, and then a few days later, they returned to prepare a second. The SFPD investigated around 2,500 suspect, suspects over a period of years. Jesus. On October 14th, the Chronicle received another letter containing a swatch of Stein's shirt as proof he was the killer and included a threat about killing children on a bus, stating he would just shoot out the front tires and pick off the kitties as they came bouncing out. Oh, fuck you. Piece of shit. Pretty much. On October 20th, someone called the Oakland Police Department claiming to be the Zodiac and demanded F. Lee Bellew, or Melvin Belly, two high-profile lawyers at the time, appear on a talk show on KGO-TV. Okay. Belly did appear on the show, however, Bellew did not. Someone claiming to be the Zodiac called the show several times. Belly asked the caller for a less ominous name, Sam was chosen. The caller said he would not give his true identity due to being afraid of being sent to the gas chamber, which was their death penalty back okay. then. Belly arranged a meeting outside of a shop on Mission Street in Daly City, but no one arrived. The call was later traced back to a mental institution, concluding it was not the Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. On November 8th, the Zodiac mailed a card with a 340-character cryptogram dubbed 
Z340. It remained unsolved for over 51 years and was not deciphered until December 5th of 2020. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yep. The Zodiac denied being the Sam who spoke on the TV show and explained that he was not afraid of the gas chamber because it would send to paradise sooner. On the 9th, the Chronicle received a seven-page letter stating that two officers had stopped and spoke with him for three minutes after he shot Stein. Parts of the letter were published on November 12th. On December 20th, Belly, the lawyer, received a letter including another swatch of Stein's shirt saying that he wanted Belly to help him. Oh. Various authors speculated at the time of the killings that other murders may have been the work of the Zodiac, but none of them have been confirmed. So we're going to get into those now. Okay. Robert George Domingos, age 18, and Linda Faye Edwards, 17, shot and killed on June 4th, 1963 on a beach near... Gaviota? I'm not really sure how to say that. Okay. Um, some specific similarities between their attack and the Zodiac's attack at Lake Berryessa five years later. Um, a, it's a couple. They're both within that age range. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple similarities. Um, Sherry Jo Bates, age 18 was stabbed to death and nearly decapitated on October 30th, 1966 at Riverside City College in Riverside. Um, Bates's possible connection to the Zodiac only appeared four years after her murder when the Chronicle reporter Paul Avery received a tip regarding similarities between the Zodiac killings and the circumstances around Bates' death. We'll get into that in a little bit. So... Don't mind me. I'm scrolling through Facebook. Okay. What pops up? <laughs> Except the Zodiac sign. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> and that right there is proof that, uh, you know. Big brother. Big brother's watching. Continue. Anyways. <laughs> Donna Ann Lass, 25, was last seen on September 6, 1970 in Stateline, Nevada. Mm-hmm. A postcard bearing an advertisement for Forest Pine Condominiums near Incline Village at Lake Tahoe. Pasted on the back was received at the Chronicle on March 22nd, 1971. Okay. No evidence has been uncovered to connect Lass's disappearance with the Zodiac Killer. Kathleen Johns, age 22, allegedly abducted on March 22nd, 1970 on Highway 132 near I-580, in an area west of Modesto, Johns escaped from the car of a man who drove her and her infant daughter around the area between Stockton and Patterson for approximately an hour and a half. Jesus Christ. Kathleen was driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma to visit her mother when a vehicle behind her began honking its horn and flashing its headlights. She pulled over and the car parked behind her. A man approached the car stating that her right rear wheel was wobbling and offered to tighten it. After he left, she went to pull away. However, the tire almost immediately fell off. Oh. So he loosened it instead of Mm -hmm. tightening it. The man came back and offered her a ride to the nearest gas station. 
During the ride, they passed numerous gas stations and the man didn't stop. When the man finally stopped at an intersection, she fled the vehicle with her daughter and hid in a field. After the man gave up and left, she flagged down another vehicle for help. When she gave her statement, to, she identified the man as the same man in the sketch of Stein's killer. Oh. Her vehicle was found. However, it had been completely gutted and torched. Jesus. So, the Zodiac had continued to send in letters for most of 1970. In a letter postmarked April 20th, he wrote, My name is with a 13-character cipher. He then went on to state that he was not responsible for a bombing of a police station and the death of Sergeant Brian McDonnell, but did say that there is more glory to killing a cop than a Sid because a cop can shoot back. What in the actual fuck? The letter includes a di- included a diagram of a bomb that he claimed he would use to blow up a school bus signed with crosshairs. Equals 10. SPD equals 0. So he's keeping score. Yes. Sick ass fuck. A greeting card was sent on April 28th. <laughs> oh god. I, I really suck at taking notes when I'm tired. <laughs> I spelled sent S-E-S-N-T. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? God. On April 28th to the Chronicle. With, I hope you enjoy yourself when I have my BLAST in all caps. Only the word BLAST was in all caps. Followed by his signature crosshairs. On the back of the card, he threatened to use the bus bomb soon unless the newspaper published what he had written. And stated he wanted to start seeing people wear some nice Zodiac buttons. No. So basically, he's taunting the media trying to get his name out there. Because he is a garbage human. Shitbag. June 6th, he stated he was upset that no one was wearing said buttons, writing, I shot a man sitting in a parked car with a 38. It was possible that he was referring to the murder of Sergeant Raddick one week earlier. Raddick was riding a ticket in his squad car when a person shot him in the head with a 38 caliber pistol through the closed driver's side window. The SFPD denies the Zodiac was involved. The murder is still unsolved. This letter included a roadmap of the Bay Area. Mount Diablo had a cross-like or crosshair-like circle drawn on it with 0, 3, 6, and 9 written on the map as well. The instructions with the map stated that the zero was to be set mag in, so the zero was supposed to be north. Okay. It also included a 32-letter cipher that he claimed would lead to the location of a bomb buried and set to detonate in the fall. It was never decoded. The bomb was never located, and the letter was signed Crosshairs 12 SFPD 0. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> On July 24th, He took credit for Kathleen John's abduction in a letter to the Chronicle. In a July 26th letter, he paraphrased a song, adding his own lyrics about making a little list of ways in which he planned to torture his slaves in paradise. It was signed with a large cross circle and a new score, Crosshairs 13 SFPD 0. A PS was found at the bottom stating the Mount Diablo code concerns radians, 
plus the number of inches along the radians. A close examination in 1981, Gareth Penn led to the discovery a radian angle when planed over the map pointed to the locations of two of the zodiac attacks. Okay, so on October 7th, a postcard signed by the zodiac was sent, signed with the cross circle in blood. The message was formed by pasting words and letters from an edition of the Chronicle, and 13 holes were punched across it. On the 27th, Paul Avery of the Chronicle received a Halloween card signed with the letter Z and the crosshairs. Handwritten inside was Peekaboo, you are doomed. That's not creepy as fuck. The threat was taken extremely seriously and landed itself on the front page. Soon after, Avery received an anonymous letter proving similarities between the Zodiac shenanigans and the unsolved murder of Sherry Jo Bates. Zodiac shenanigans. Did that really just come out? <laughs> yes, because I'm paraphrasing at this point and didn't feel like using the same wording as my sources. Avery reported his findings in the Chronicle on November 16th. Here is what we know about Sherry Jo Bates. On October 30th, 1966, an 18-year-old student at Riverside City College, Sherry Jo Bates, spent the evening at the campus library annex until it closed at 9 p.m. Neighbors reported hearing a scream around 10.30. Bates was found dead the next morning a short distance from the library between two abandoned houses slated to be demolished for campus renovations. The wires in her Volkswagen's distributor cap had been pulled out. She was brutally beaten and stabbed to death. A man's Timex watch with a torn wristband was nearby. A month later, on November 29, 1966, nearly identical typewritten letters were mailed to the Riverside Police and the Riverside Press Enterprise titled The Confession. The author claimed responsibility for the Bates murder, providing details of the crime that were not released to the public. The author warned that Bates is not the first and she will not be the last. In December of 1966, a poem was discovered carved into the bottom side of a desktop in the Riverside City College Library, titled Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. The poem's language and handwriting resembled that of the Zodiac's letters, it was signed with what were assumed to be the initials R.H. During the 1970 investigation, Sherwood Morrill, California's top questions doc, or question documents examiner, expressed his opinion that the poem was written Zodiac. On April 30th, 1967, exactly six months after Bates' murder, Bates' father Joseph, the Press Enterprise, and the Riverside Police were all received nearly identical letters. In handwritten scrawl, the press enterprise, Jesus, get it together, <laughs> and police copies read, Bates had to die, there will be more, with a small scribble at the bottom that resembled the letter Z. Joseph Bates's copy read, she had to die, there will be more, this time without the Z signature. On March 13, 1971, five months after Avery's article linking the Zodiac to the Riverside murder, the Zodiac mailed a letter to the Los Angeles Times. In the letter, he credited the police instead of Avery for discovering his Riverside activity, but they are only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. Oh. 
On March 22nd, 1971, a postcard to the Chronicle addressed to Paul I- Averly and believed to be from the Zodiac appeared to claim responsibility for the disappearance of Donna Lass on September 6, 1970. Made from a collage of advertisements and magazine lettering, it featured a scene from an advertisement of Forest Pines condominiums and the Texiera Club, sought victim 12, peek through the pines, past Lake Tahoe areas, and around in the snow. So he was giving them hints on where to look for more people. The fucking The Zodiac's cross circle symbol was in both the place of the usual return address and the lower right section of the front face of the postcard. Last was a nurse at the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino. She worked until about 2 a.m. September 6, 1970, treating her last patient at 1.40. Later that same day, both Lass's employer and her landlord received phone calls from an unknown male falsely claiming that Lass had left town because of a family emergency. Lass was never found. What appeared to be a gravesite was discovered near the Clare Tappan Lodge in Northern California on Sierra Club property but an excavation yielded only a pair of sunglasses. No evidence has been uncovered to definitively connect the last disappearance with the Zodiac Killer. But he distinctly gave them hints on where to find her. In a Vallejo Times Herald story, appearing on November 13, 1972, Bill Baker postulated that 1963 murders of a young couple in northern Santa Barbara County might have been the work of the Zodiac Killer. On June 4, 1963, high school senior Robert Domingos and his fiancée Linda Edwards were shot dead on a beach near Lompoc. Having skipped school that day for senior ditch day, um, Police believed that the assailant attempted to bind the victims, but when they freed themselves and attempted to flee, the killer shot them repeatedly in the back and chest with a 22 caliber weapon. The killer then placed their bodies in a small shack and then tried unsuccessfully to burn the structure to the ground. After the Pines card, the Zodiac remained silent for nearly three years. The Chronicle then received a letter from the Zodiac postmark January 29, 1974, praising The Exorcist as the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. The letter included a snippet verse from the Makaido and an unusual symbol at the bottom that has remained unexplained by researchers. Couldn't even find what it was. That way I could tell you guys what it was. Um, Zodiac concluded the letter with a new score. Me, 37. SFPD, 0. Jesus Christ. So now we're going to get into the suspects from public speculation. And it's kind of a, a, a long list. So, Ross Sullivan became a person of interest through the possible link between the Zodiac Killer and the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in Riverside. Sullivan was a library assistant at Riverside City College and suspected by co-workers who said that he went missing for several days after the murder. Sullivan resembled sketches of the Zodiac and wore military boots with footprints like those found at the Lake Berryessa crime scene. 
Sullivan was hospitalized multiple times for bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. That'll do it. Lawrence K., later Lawrence Kane, Kathleen Johns, who claimed to have been abducted by the Zodiac Killer, picked Lawrence Kane out of a photo lineup. Police officer Don Falk, who possibly observed the Zodiac Killer following the murder of Paul Stein, said Kane closely resembled the man he and Eric Zelms encountered. Kane worked at the same Nevada hotel as, a poss- as possible Zodiac victim Donna Lass, and he was diagnosed with impulse control disorder after suffering brain in- injuries in a 1962 accident. He was arrested for voyeurism and prowling. Police informants accused Richard Marshall of being the Zodiac Killer, claiming that he privated it being a murderer. Marshall lived in Riverside in 1966 and San Francisco in 69, close to the scenes of the Bates and Stein murders. He was a silent film enthusiast and a projectionist, screening Segundo D. Tremont's The Red Phantom that came out in 1907, a name used by the author of a possible 1974 Zodiac letter. The detective Ken Narlow said that Marshall makes good reading but is not a very good suspect in my estimation. Ted Kaczynski, also known as the Unabomber, was investigated for possible connections to the Zodiac Killer in 1996. Kaczynski worked in Northern California at the time of the Zodiac murders and the Zodiac, and like the Zodiac, had an interest in cryptography and threatened the press into publishing his communication. Kaczynski was ruled out by both the FBI and SFPD based on fingerprint and handwriting comparisons and his absence from California on certain dates of known Zodiac activity. So that... Well, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Especially since he is the Unabomber. The, this one is kind of fucked up, too. Um, Bruce Davis a member of Charles Manson's Manson family cult and a convicted murderer was investigated, but no evidence linking him to the Zodiac murders was discovered. A 1970 report by the California Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation stated that all male members of the Manson family had been investigated and eliminated as Zodiac suspects. In 2007, Dennis Kaufman claimed that his stepfather, Jack Terrence, was the Zodiac. Kauf turned several items over to the FBI, including a hood similar to the one worn by the Zodiac. According to news sources, DNA analysis conducted by the FBI on the items was deemed inconclusive in 2010. In 2009, former lawyer Robert Tarbo, who was disbarred in August of 1975 by the California Supreme Court for failure to pay some clients, said that in the early 1970s, a merchant mariner walked into his office and confessed to him that he was the Zodiac Killer, the seeming lucid seaman who's... <laughs> what? You looked at me! Why did you have to look at me? I wasn't going to laugh because, <laughs> because I said it, you asshole. I barely even looked up. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, fucking twelve-year-old boy having <laughs> semen as my voice cracks. Tarbo would reveal the name based on confidentiality. Described his crimes briefly, 
but persuasively enough to convince Tarbo. The man said he was trying to stop himself from his opportunistic murder spree, but never returned to see Tarbo again. Tarbo took out a full-page ad in the Vallejo Times-Herald that he claimed he would clear the name of Arthur Lee Allen as a killer, his only reason for revealing the story 30 years after the fact. Robert Graysmith, the author of several books on Zodiac, said Tarbo's story was entirely plausible. I didn't look into Arthur Lee Allen at all um, to see if I could find anything, only because I knew how long this was going to be. Um, in 2009, an episode of the History Channel television series Mystery Quest looked at newspaper editor Richard Gakowski. Goddamn names. Ow! <laughs> During the time of the murders, Gakowski worked for Good Times, a San Francisco counterculture newspaper. His appearance resembled the comp- composite sketch, and Nancy Slover, the Vallejo police dispatcher who contact or who was contacted by the Zodiac shortly after the Blue Rock Springs attack, identified a recording of Gajkowski's voice being the same as the Zodiac's. Mm-hmm. Retired police detective Steve Hoddle argues in his book, The Black Dahlia Avenger, that his father, George Hoddle, was the Black Dahlia murder- murderer. Mm-hmm. I knew that whose victims include Elizabeth Short. The book led to the release of previously suppressed files and wire recordings by the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office of his father, which showed that the elder Hoddle had indeed been a prime suspect in Short's murder. District Attorney Steve Kay subsequently wrote a letter, which is published in the revised edition, stating that if George Hoddle were still alive, he would be prosecuted for the crimes. In a follow-up book, Hoddle argued a circumstantial case that his father was also the Zodiac Killer based on a police sketch, the similarity of the style of the Zodiac letters to the Black Dahlia Avenger letters, and questioned document examination. On February 19, 2011, America's Most Wanted featured a story about the Zodiac Killer. In 2010, a picture surfaced of known Zodiac victim Darlene Farron and an unknown man who closely resembles the composite sketch, formed based on eyewitness descriptions of the Zodiac Killer. The police believe the photo was taken in San Francisco in the middle of 1966 or 67. Convicted serial killer Edward Edwards, Edward Edwards, it's a horrible name, who committed five murders between 1977 and 1996, was linked to the Zodiac murders, and several other unsolved cases by a former cold case detective, John A. Cameron. Cameron's theories were met with almost universal disdain, especially from law enforcement. All right, we're getting close to the end. (laughs) Former California Highway Patrol officer, Lennon Lafferty, said the Zodiac Killer was a 91-year-old Solano County, California man he referred to by the pseudonym George Russell Tucker. Using a group of retired law enforcement officers called the Mandamus Seven, Lafferty discovered Tucker and outlined an alleged cover-up for why he was not pursued. Tucker died in February 2012 and was not named because he was not considered a suspect by police. In February of 2014, 
it was reported that Louis Joseph Myers had confessed to a friend in 2001 that he was the Zodiac Killer after learning that he was dying, um, dying, dying, dying <laughs> from cirrhosis of the liver. He requested that his friend Randy Kinney go to the police upon his death. Myers died in 2002, but Randy Kinney, dear Lord, I can't talk tonight. But Kenny allegedly had difficulties getting officers to cooperate and take the claim seriously. There were several potential connections between Myers and the Zodiac case. Myers attended some the same high schools as the victims, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, and allegedly worked in the same restaurant as victim Darlene Farron. During the 1971-73 period, when no Zodiac letters were received, Myers was stationed overseas with the military. Kenny says that Myers confessed... He targeted couples because of a bad breakup with a girlfriend. While officers associated with the case are skeptical, they believe the story is credible enough to investigate if Kenny could produce credible evidence. Robert Ivan Nichols, also known as Joseph Newton Chandler III, was a formerly unidentified identity thief who committed suicide in East Lake, Ohio in July of 2002. After his death, investigators were unable to locate his family and discovered that he had stolen the identity of an eight-year-old boy who was killed in a car crash in Texas in 1945. The links to which Nichols went to hide his identity led to the speculation that he was a violent fugitive. The U.S. Marshals Service announced the identification at a press conference in Cleveland on June 21, 2018. Some internet sleuths suggested that he might have been the Zodiac killer as he resembled police sketches of the Zodiac and had lived in California where the Zodiac operated. In 2014, Gary Stewart published the book, The Most Dangerous Animal of All, in which he claimed his search for his biological father, Earl Van Best Jr., led him to conclude that Van Best was the Zodiac killer. In 2020, the book was adapted for FX Networks as a documentary series. I haven't watched it. If it's out. I don't know if it is. Um, but I know they're working on it. Um, since 2018... A journalistic inquiry on a connection between the Zodiac and Monster of Florence cases is being published on the website of Italian magazine Tempi, also appearing on newspapers Libero and another one that I can't pronounce. I'm not even going to try to butcher it. Um, which, following the publication of the first article in 20, backed off. And the suspect is a former superintendent of the Florence American Cemetery in Italy, Joseph Bevelacqua, also known as Giuseppe, was born on 19 or bleh, I can't, I can't. I'm trying to put things the way that we enter them in the computer, and I can't. Um, who was born on December 20th, 1935, in Tottawa, New Jersey and had twenty year, a 20-year career in the Army when he left it to move to Florence in 1974. Francesco Amicone, the author of Inquiry, wrote an account of Bevelacqua's partial admission in which he would have confessed to being responsible to the murders attributed to the Zodiac Killer and the Monster of Florence in an conversation that occurred on September 11, 2017. After the release of the first part of the inquiry on 
May or in May of 2018, he denied his admission. Even though he threatened him with a lawsuit, Amicon did not stop accusing him. In 21, 2021, dear fucking God, <laughs> Amicon reported that Bethelacroix would have been an undercover CID agent assigned to an investigation in San Francisco concerning SMA William O. Woolbridge and other army sergeants at the time of the Zodiac's homicides in 1969 and 1970. While army criminal investigator in Italy wrote, or in the early 1970s, Bevelacroix would have had access to a case file of a double murder that occurred near Florence in 1968, where bullets and shell casings had been improperly stored. Bevelacroix returned the pieces of evidence with spent cartridges shot by the gun he would use in the monster of Florence's homicides in order to link his future crimes to those murders for which he had an alibi. Italian authorities collected Bevelacroix's DNA in late 2020, but the results have yet to come back as public knowledge. Uh-huh. So, now that I can't talk anymore. You've been talking for 45 <laughs> minutes. So, <laughs> well, I told you it was going to be a doozy. So, I mean, it happens. That was gnarly. But that is what we know about the Zodiac Killer. I don't think we'll ever find out who it really is. Mm-mm. I don't think we will. There's not enough physical evidence to link absolutely anybody to it. There's no DNA. The only thing they have is a partial palm print, and it was still wet, so there's no way to guarantee that's who it actually is. That it's... If they have that person in their... If it's feasible. Database. Right. Now they probably do, if they went back and redid it, but at the same time, that's one of those so many leads you can follow. Right. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the Earl Van Best Jr. take on it, and which one was it? The uh, Gajkowski, and possibly the Arthur Lee Allen. But at the same time. There's only so much digging I can do, and if I go down the rabbit hole, I'll never come back up. No, so. What's the problem with these big guys? You're never gonna. Exactly. Get to the bottom of it, you're never gonna get every single detail. Right. But thanks for, you know. Hanging in there. Enduring my 45 minute spiel on the Zodiac Killer. Hanging in there for (laughs) at least an hour and 20 minutes after I edited. Right. (laughs) Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. At 10 Zero Podcast. And on Facebook. 10 Zero True Crime and Paranormal Stories from Behind the Headset. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Fuck off. <laughs> and go to our website. Snag up some of those decals, especially the limited edition ones. Yes, those will not be done ever again because they were a pain in the fucking ass. So- <laughs> I, I'm sure we can come up with a way to make it less of a pain, but... Until then. Until then. <laughs> if you have any personal stories or case ideas for us, make sure you email them at 10 podcast at gmail.com. 
And as always, thanks for hanging out. And try not to become the next 10-0.